Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. You guys, I'm so pleased to welcome Olivia from Yoga for First Responders to the show today. I hope you gleaned some awesome pieces from Olivia's wisdom and experience working alongside first responders. Olivia Mead is the founder and CEO of the nonprofit organization Yoga Shield Yoga for First Responders. Olivia is a lifelong yoga practitioner and has studied cognitive behavioral therapy, human performance, and trauma sensitive yoga for veterans. She's taught yoga since 2003 and is focused primarily on public safety since 2013, starting at Los Angeles Fire Department and Los Angeles Police Department. Since then, Olivia has taught thousands of first responders and military personnel around the United States and has spoken at several trade conferences, events, and public safety agencies. Olivia is a member of the Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association and the International Society for Fire Service Instructors. Today, Olivia and I are talking about the role of the mind-body connection and using tools like yoga and mindfulness practices to support our brains in being the best they can be and helping us to be the best we can be. I came away from this conversation with so many gems, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, let's jump in. I guess I'd, I'd love to start by just really welcoming you, Olivia. Like, I'm, I, I don't know if you've listened to this show before. I'm so thrilled about what you do. I actually found your website before I had even started the podcast, oh, and really? I was researching, I don't even remember exactly what, I was researching services and supports for first responders and frontline workers, because I was finding that I was having a lot of them in my clinical counseling practice showing up and dealing with a lot of challenges with slowing down, kind of that mind-body connection piece, a lot of people who are struggling with numbing out and feeling quite disconnected from their own bodies. And so I actually stumbled across your website like way back a couple of years ago And I've always kind of had you in the back of my mind as I started working through this podcast and thinking someday I'm going to email her and I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen. And so I'm so glad that you're here and that it's happening. Oh, I'm so glad too. I'm really glad. I'm glad that when you searched for that subject, we came up. That's that's what I hope. It's exciting. Totally. So Tell me a little bit about your story and what led you into specializing and offering yoga training to first responders specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have been teaching yoga for the past 18 years, um, teaching specifically veterans and military for the past 10 years and first responders for the past eight years. And I was trained in yoga in a very traditional way. I studied in India and a lot of what yoga truly is, is misunderstood by our Western culture. And yeah. uh, it's a shame and there's, it's, it's such valuable tools that do require discipline. And I think all of us uh, tend to fall to the side of what's the easiest thing I can do versus what yeah. I need to do, right? Um, and so the Eastern style of yoga or where yoga initiated from in the East it's a training for the mind and the nervous system and the body. So every system we've got, we're training it to its optimal level of functioning. And in the West, it's, it very, very much became, you know, a trendy sort of exercise. And listen, it's all marketing. 
And I don't even blame them because it makes the big bucks. Yoga is a billion totally. dollar business, right? That's yeah, why they can sell yoga pants for $100 a pop. But you actually don't need to wear specific pants to do yoga. You know, right. so that's sort of one big misconception. Anyway, so living in the, in, you know, in our Western culture, I started teaching yoga at gyms and yoga studios and the such. And I was just not settled in the fact that what they wanted me to teach was not the true authentic practice. So you're not getting the valuable benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, And listen, when we move our body at all, moving the body is therapeutic, right? So it's going to process stress hormones no matter what. So do people who go to these, to our Western, you know, yoga studios, do they feel better sweating it out and moving the body? Sure they do because moving does feel great, but there's so much, like if you've seen that graphic of the tip of the iceberg and then all underneath the water, right? You're only getting the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more underneath that is not um, brought forward in common. And again, I'm generalizing here. There are tons of wonderful yoga studios and, and teachers out in the West, but in general, you're not getting that true practice. So at the same time as I'm battling this in my head, like, God, I wish I could teach the authentic yeah. practice, right? At the same time, I'm, I was seeing lots of statistics of veteran suicide and you know stress-based issues at the military. So I started with military actually. I was like, God, this is a this is a demographic who because of their militant culture, it's the military, mm-hmm. would probably really resonate with the militant discipline culture of traditional yoga. Yeah. So I got trained specifically to teach yoga to veterans who struggle with post-traumatic stress. And I was doing that in the VA. I was teaching some active military. I was working in Los Angeles and um, at a yoga magazine. And it was my mom on the phone that actually asked me, have you ever thought of first responders? And what occurred to me in that moment is something that I think most of us are at fault for. And I was especially in that moment is we assume and we assume correctly that when we call 911, they will show up and be there for us. Um, and they, they do, that is their job. But because that's the expectation, we don't think about there's a human being doing a job that is not normal. It's yeah. not normal to see that much death, destruction, loss, trauma in one day. I mean, it's yes. just not normal, but they're a normal nervous system. They're a normal brain and nervous system. Yes. So I was like, oh my God, of course, you know, so I Googled yoga for first responders, hoping to receive the same kind of training. And by training, what I mean is not only the trauma sensitive aspect, especially for veterans. So that was, it was heavy on the veterans to be, you know, trauma informed, but yeah. also culturally, right? Like how can I culturally speak to a certain population? Um, and when I Googled that, nothing came up. There was mm-hmm. nothing for first responders. Yeah. So basically I had to create it myself. So I, on a whim, emailed Los Angeles Fire Department and offered to volunteer to come in and teach yoga and that I had been teaching veterans. And and this was the easiest <laughs> The easiest, like, I don't want to say deal, but the easiest deal that I ever made because I happened to get a hold of the psychologist who already knew the benefits of yoga. He met me. He knew that the way I taught was very straightforward and grounded and practical. So it would resonate with the, the firefighters. And he brought me in. And as I was volunteering and teaching these classes, and then subsequently I moved to Iowa and started teaching there, I became more um, educated on their culture and their needs specifically. And I was able to tailor the practice to be culturally informed and job specific. And what's funny is by tailoring the practice, I actually brought it back closer to the original intention of yoga than further from it. Um, So basically what we did worked and um, and now now it's a national program. Well, and phenomenal for it to not only work for them, but also to kind of come back closer to what is more in alignment for you. Like what kind of magic is that, that it kind of all comes together? 
right. in that kind right. of a way. Yeah. So it's very rewarding for me to teach. And, you know, the, the manner in which I teach maybe didn't resonate with the folks in Beverly Hills, which is where I was teaching at a studio, mm. but it definitely resonates with the demographic that could truly, truly benefit from these tools of yoga. So having been quite grounded then in some of the cultural pieces associated with what it looks like to live life as a first responder, I'm curious if you can kind of talk to me about some of the common problems that you see as you engage with first responders around what it's like to work in high stress jobs, doing shift work. Um, Like what are some of the pieces that you see show up in terms of challenges with kind of being mindful, slowing down, focusing in some of those pieces that are quite fundamental to what yoga practice is meant to be? Yeah. So as you're probably aware, um, you know, shift work and the sleep deprivation that comes with it is associated is a carcinogen. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a known carcinogen. And um, there is nothing we can do about the sleep disruption. People have emergencies in the middle of the night. What we can do is um, make recovery more effective. So they actually have studies on people who have very, very tremendous meditation practices. Mm -hmm. And I knew one of these people, they were a master teacher of mine, that they actually don't have to sleep, sleep, sleep very many hours because of the amount and the depth of their meditation practice. And I'm not saying that, okay, meditate five hours a day and then you don't have to sleep, but there is a correlation between recovery of the body Mm -hmm. and meditation. So even if you're not sleeping, so for instance, um, let's say, and this is my husband's story um, from his fire department that, you know, they would get those sleep disruptions of calls like every couple of hours. So Mm -hmm knowing one might be coming, you may not actually fall asleep, or if you do, it's not a deep sleep. But if you can do techniques that are putting the brain waves and the hormone levels into that of recovery, it's not really going to matter, you know, if, if you're actually quote unquote sleeping. And you know this because you get eight hours of sleep and you wake up feeling like a zombie. Right. So so there's a difference between like being passed out basically um, and actual recovery. So what yoga is teaching you is uh, one element is really, really effective recovery. And we've also noted that true resilience means that you do have effective and consistent recovery. I really try to get away from this phrase of bouncing back because you see people put on a uniform and come back to work and it appears they are bouncing back, but they are not getting proper recovery. Their systems internally aren't working well and all those things that you can't see. Yeah. So we, so the recovery piece is there and true techniques, not just, you know, all we're taught about sleep, you know, there's sleep training out there mm-hmm. and all we're taught to do to sleep is, okay, close your eyes, try to make the room dark. And all those are really, really effective too, but right. there are neurological techniques that you can do, yeah. right? So sleep's the big one. The other big one is on the other side of that, which a lot of people don't associate with yoga is how to use stress effectively. Stress is your friend, Mm -hmm. not your enemy. Stress is a really powerful tool that we have at our disposal, but we were never taught how to use it. When you go into training for law enforcement, fire service, you're you're thrown into a scenario, a simulation. Yeah. It's high stress so that you can practice your, your skills, but you're not taught how to handle that stress, what to deal with it. You're not proactively prepped and you're not effectively afterwards taught how to process it. All resilience is, is stress that has come in and been recycled into power and wisdom and, you know, enhanced performance. So if you don't know how to process stress and you don't know how to work with the stress tool, stress will own you and eat you alive. But if you're proactively trained on how to take this stress and turn it into resilience, then your performance is enhanced and activation and recovery. So high stress and recovery are are two sides of the same coin. If you Mm -hmm. want to recover more effectively, you have to be in stress more effectively. If you want to be in stress more effectively, you have to know how to recover. That's true on automated fitness, like, you know, regulation of the nervous system. So what we do 
is we give you a greedy yoga class. We don't turn the lights off and roll around on the floor and you know, we don't do that. I'm having you hold high plank. I'm in warrior two with you till you know, your, your thigh is burning. But guess what we're doing? We're creating a container of challenge that you can then meet with the techniques we give you for breath work and mindset reframing to mm-hmm. train your system on how to use stress effectively. So, um, we're teaching, we're basically teaching autonomic fitness, how to be in stress and how to recover from it. That's phenomenal. I feel like this needs to be everywhere all of the time, especially right now. I think I, even just in my day to day, my day has been almost entirely emerge and ICU nurses today. I don't know why they all booked today, but they did. Um, and so back to back sessions of just this exact piece of feeling so disconnected from a a version of myself that feels like it even knows how to be resilient anymore because the pace is so high, the demand is so high and the breaks are so few. And so that even the space for recovery to have a chance to happen feels Mm -hmm. so challenging to find right now. Um, And I love that you're working at doing this piece and, and the language around the proactive piece I think is really, really valuable because yeah. so much often we're trying to be reactive to so many of these pieces. Oh yeah. And that's, that's the thing is my husband was on the peer support team and they're always trained to be reactive. When you've hit a problem, yeah. come to us and our training is, is what, you know, it's proactive. It's let's see if we don't even have to get there to begin with. And totally. in terms of the, the time, you're absolutely right. Is the number one thing I'm hearing from departments right now is not that they don't want the training, they literally don't have the resources for it. By resources, I'm not even talking about money. I'm talking about time. Mm-hmm. People are stretched thin. They're working several shifts, right? So that's got to be addressed too. We're, we're in this crazy cycle where we can't mm-hmm. even, we don't even have the time and space to offer it to them. I will tell you that biofeedback machines are showing that you can regulate your nervous system in under three minutes. Which a lot of people don't realize, but you have to train to do so, right? You have to know the techniques. And when you're in a high stress environment, you're going to fall back on what you've trained for and what you know. And Mm -hmm. so if you haven't trained proactively in the breath techniques, then Mm -hmm. I actually, here, I'm going to read you a little quote, then, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. So this is someone who's a law enforcement officer. And also this case, this message just came in today law enforcement officer and and one of our instructors. And she said she had her oral boards. I had my oral boards for detective today. So she's promoting to detect. Mm, And I started to feel stressed beforehand. I did the 10 minute global neural reset in the car and just did belly breathing while waiting to be called in, calmed my nerves so much. So Mm. because she's trained and she knows she has those tools, she could access them, you know, when she needed them. Absolutely. I hear you on the piece about resources and the resource being time. I have a course that I, an online course that I sell that is around resilience training for first responders and frontline workers. And I'm getting the exact same feedback of people who are really excited to jump into it. They get it. And then there's no time, even though it's fairly like I created it with the intention of it fitting. So it's like less than an hour a week. Right, But even that feels so insurmountable right now because everyone is just so tapped out. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like there's going to be two versions of the next question I have for you. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, The next question I have for you is what do you find to be the hardest about working with first responders as you coach them in a yoga practice? And I kind of think there might be two pieces in terms of what was hardest pre-COVID versus what feels hardest in the current climate that we're facing where time and energy and resource does feel kind of differently tapped out. And so maybe they're different, maybe they're not, but I throw that to you as just, what are you finding to be most difficult as you work that through? Yeah. So the before COVID and kind of still at umbrellas now, so this umbrella difficulty is the, um, the misconceptions about yoga. So I'll give you an example that happened today. Yeah. We, We were, one of my instructors went to present and we were asked to do so at a conference for forensic scientists. Mm-hmm. And the feedback was certain commanders did not allow their people to sign up for our workshop because of the word yoga. Mm. 
And I have gotten feedback that, uh, you know, maybe you should call it something else, you know, but here's the thing. There is so much out there that's wellness and resilience training and this and that. What we're teaching is yoga. I don't want to shy away from that word. This is what it is. And I don't want to make up some cute title, you know, so yeah, it might be a harder hill to climb, but I'm, you know, I want to dispel any misconceptions. So how we have um, addressed this is no one comes on the yoga mat with us, with any of our instructors until they've had a lecture intro piece. We talk Mm -hmm. about how yoga affects the nervous system. We talk about what yoga is and what it's not and what we'll be doing and what we're not going to be doing. And after that intro piece, almost everyone I would say is ready to go and on board. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've also, you know, done a quick video leadership briefing to try to get command staff to understand. So our biggest hurdle is always convincing people that this is going to be a helpful tool. We have Mm -hmm. science behind it. Everything we do is evidence-based. We, we have so much, you know, but I think there's still something in there that they are not prioritizing. Yeah. I think I'm not saying that someone's against resilience or wellness, but they've got a mm-hmm. lot on their plates and they know they have to check a box that says we're doing wellness training. So maybe we'll get an hour in an academy to talk about it, but it's not being trained to the same level of importance as urgent tactical skills, right? Like urgent yes. term need. And I understand why you need those short-term tactical skills, But if you're home on disability, mental or physical, what does it matter if you have those Mm -hmm. short-term tactical skills or not? You're not out in the field to use them. Yeah. So we're we're starting to see a new trend of more people understanding that yoga is valuable. Okay. But now the new thing is okay. Then give us give us a line item in the budget. Give us um, the time, give us the space, give us some sort of importance. Sometimes it it feels like we're just filling a a box to check. And again, I'm not trying to blame any leadership or commander. They have so much going on. What what are they supposed to do? So what do we do from there? Is it up to the cities now? Is it up to our government? How do we get Mm -hmm. more funding and more time? Because we have the solution, we have the training, and we have the evidence to prove it but we just don't have the time and resources given to us to actually plug it in. And we also have online training and we're, we're trying to solve everything on our end. We need something from, from the other end. Now, post COVID, Mm -hmm. I think what I'm just saying is just 10 times worse. Um, There's, there's just, people are quitting. No one's getting, no one is applying. No one wants to be a first responder right now. Um, and there's not enough manpower. There's not enough time. There's, and even the online stuff, I too, we did a six week online course that was supposed to be an in-person clinical trial, but went online Mm -hmm. with COVID and I made it. So it was every module was one hour or less on day Mm -hmm. one. And then they did homework training videos, which were 30 minutes or less every day. Okay. And only like 11 people out of 50 finished it. Yeah. Right. And also then, okay, well make it, sometimes I hear, make it even less, make it 30 minutes with 15. Okay. But at a certain point you have to put in the time and effort to be effective. You have to just do the training. So it's, it's a culmination of what we're, what we've been saying, just burned out time resources. It's not a matter of not having the right training or lack of desire. I actually have a lot more people wanting this than not, Mm -hmm. but then we get to the logistic conversation and, you know, and I think that's just worse post COVID. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I think that there's so much happening and yet as a clinician who sees so much of what comes long-term. There's also this part of me that like, I get it. I get, I get that it's hard. I get that there's no time. I get that, you know, everyone is working extra shifts and picking up and doing the best they can to survive in this. And yet if we don't invest in ourselves in the short term, you get to end up in my office and let me tell you how much harder it is to do it after the fact, right? Like when we're so far into burnout and PTSI and 
various kinds of challenges that it's so much harder to claw our way back out of than it is to be proactive on the front end. And that's, I think, the thing, and I think people who listen to this podcast regularly have heard me rant about this on a number of occasions. Like, that's why we started this podcast was because I'm just frankly kind of pissed off that we're here and that we see these people who are phenomenal at the jobs they do tanking and being removed as like, if I want, if I go into a hospital, I want that like fantastic experienced nurse and doctor taking care of my kid. Or if I have a house fire, I want the really experienced wealth of knowledge firefighter being the one showing up at my door. And those are the people we're losing en masse because they're so done. And that scares me, frankly, for what that means for our emergency systems here on out, really. Um, And it just feels very, very sad because I also get to see these people as people who come in and share about how heartbreaking it is for them to be removed from the work that was their lives and that they've loved so deeply because the systems didn't promote that proactive mentality and didn't train these pieces kind of in, into the way that they did all of the tactical training, all the medical training, right? Yeah. And it's crazy making to me. Yeah, it, I totally agree. And it has, that's why we, you know, I try really hard to make our training be more proactive and tactical instead of quote unquote wellness training or whatever, because yeah. just, I don't even want to use that word stigma, but just the unconscious like, compartmentalization of the importance of wellness and you know totally like it's interesting we go to conferences and again by and large we are very well received and everyone's up for it but sometimes I I wonder if (laughs) if people don't feel bound up if they're not feeling these effects yet if they still even unconsciously categorize it as a joke right you know because like we went to a train a conference recently and like, Oh, we're the yoga people that are here. And we're kind of a, what do you call it? Like we're, you know, we're a little out of place and we stick out. And so, you know, people notice that we're there, you know, and I went to the booth of someone that I thought it would be really cool to do um, some sort of partnering with them because they kind of do equipment for tactical stuff. And their whole thing is enhancing performance or something to that effect. And that's, that's what we, that's one of our taglines too. Right. Yeah. So I'd be like, Oh, it'd be so cool if we did like a social media thing. Went over the first day. Oh yeah. I love what you do. They were so complimentary. Came over the next day to see if we could do like, Hey, let's do a little yoga thing right in the middle of your thing, you know, and we could tag mm-hmm. each other. And they came up with all these excuses. And finally I was like, you just don't want this. You just don't want to be associated with this. Do you? Right. So this is the issue is that it's all fun and good to talk about, but then when we actually want to plug it in, it's not being given the importance that it deserves, you know, and that's a domino effect. I'm not blaming anyone or one person or what, you know, I'm just saying there's something has to change. Otherwise these statistics that we all hear about, they're not going down, (laughs) you know? Well, that's the thing, right? And it it is, I mean, I find it really sad that, There is still so much stigma. I remember um, a number of years ago now doing a training with uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. He is legitimately the trauma therapy guy. Like that is his thing. And they were just in the process of kind of the first couple of years of their pilot project at the time with doing their trauma-informed yoga training program through the National Trauma Institute that he ran at that point. And I remember listening to him sharing about the research that was emerging from that pilot project. And it all just made so much sense. Like as a trauma therapist, I work so much with how our bodies have responses to what our traumatic experiences are. It makes so much sense that yoga would be able to access that and be able to move that through a little bit differently. And the research that has come out of so much of that has been so significant. And yet we also still fight over whether counseling is effective and other things that have very long track records as well. Right. So it's just this really frustrating place of like knowing that you have something that really could benefit people 
and then feeling like these little pieces get them stuck from even accessing it to begin with and recognizing the real impact that will have for their lives is really disappointing. Yeah. And, you know, if, like I said before, if people are worried about like, no, this conference is about the tactical performance or whatever, you know, well, yoga has been shown to strengthen and sharpen the prefrontal Mm -hmm. cortex. And that's where decisions are being made. That's where, you know, verbal communication, interpreting stimuli around you. So totally. And getting accessing the flow state, like all of this stuff is shown that yoga helps with. So it's not just for after action, it's to enhance your performance as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, no one's going to know that based on the branding and marketing of yoga in the West. And so I think that's an issue that we're always going to have to deal with is what they're seeing out there are Mm. white females doing tricks on a beach. And even though this has come to light a lot now that that shouldn't be what yoga is represented as, it's Mm -hmm. still out there. And, you know, my goal is that Yoga Journal will have a a black cop, male, a male black cop on the cover of their magazine, you know? And so I'm, I'm working towards that, but unless we make yoga cool, you know, Mm -hmm. um, they're just going to think it's, it's a waste of time. They have to say yes, because it's not good for business to say that wellness or resilience training is not good. No one's going to say that, but now, you know, start putting your money where your mouth is literally. And like, let's get a place in the budget for this. Now, I think you're right that the like blonde on the beach is one of the problems in terms of yoga branding. I think you actually kind of touched on naming the other piece that I think is problematic. And that's this perception that what it means to really do yoga right is to meditate for five hours in such a deep state that you are catatonic. So like, how do you address some of the concerns that some people likely have as they approach this as like newbies to the process that there's like a middle to those two extremes um, and that allows them to feel like they have a chance at being successful given that they feel uncertain of what it even looks like to slow themselves down or feel anxious at the thought of being quiet and still in their own body without distraction every minute of the day. Yeah. Again, it's uh, an explanation of what it actually is versus an assumption. So for meditation specifically, the first thing I ask everyone before I teach is what are your reservations? Like what, you know, I just taught in service here at our County Sheriff and, and, you know, I asked them, what's your reservation for being here? And this one woman said, I can't clear my mind. I can't clear my mind and meditate for that long. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, have you ever practiced? Have you ever done it? And she said, no. So where is she getting the message that it's clearing your mind for a long, you know, there's a lack of education, true education around it. Yeah. So to clear that up, meditation is not clearing your mind and sitting in nothingness. Cause that does sound like a giant waste of time. What it is, is I compare the mind to a puppy or a dog. And the mind is very powerful. It's in fact, your most powerful tool. Here's another thing of why, you know, listen, any tool that someone does for proactive resilience, I'm on board with. But the Mm -hmm. reason that I love the yoga training is that it's always with you. You know, Mm -hmm. I asked people recently, like what, um, you know, what do they do to recover? And they'd say a weighted blanket, or maybe they do go to therapy. I go to therapy. I love therapy, but my therapist isn't going to be next to me and my weighted Mm -hmm. blanket's not going to be there. All I have at the end of the day is, you know, is what is, what is with me. Yeah. So anyway, so your mind, your mind is your most powerful tool and a dog. When we bring a puppy into our house its instinct is going to chew up to be chew up shoes and have accidents and do this and do that. So what do we do to the puppy so that we can live with it and use it as a, as a tool, as a companion, we train it. So you have to train the mind to be your tool instead of your master. So all meditation is, is a mental training system. And with meditation, you don't clear your mind. You you know, if you want your dog to sit still, you give it a chew toy. And it chews on something. It focuses on one thing instead of running around the house. Mm -hmm. Meditation is the chew toy. 
So you give an object of meditation. That could be counting your breaths. It could be repeating a mantra. Mantra is a Sanskrit word that means mind tool. So all it is is using a mantra of repetition to have something for your mind to focus on. Some are watching a candle flame. There are all these techniques to get your mind to focus on one thing. I recently saw something that said they have shown that the attention span of a human is nowadays is that of a goldfish. That's not a joke. That's real. That's not very helpful. (laughs) No. And so I ask people to do, okay, I'm going to ask you to breathe a certain way. Yeah. Okay, do that. After about two breaths, they drop their hands and look at the clock and like, okay, what's next? No, mm-hmm. baby, keep doing it. Keep doing yes. it. We're in this. Yet, right? <laughs> so the issue is, is that there is no mental discipline out there, no mental training to focus the mind on something. So your mind, you know, I'll have people just breathe. I'll say, I don't want you fidgeting. I don't want you messing with your shirt they'll do this scratch their head mess with their shirt they don't even know they did it Mm -hmm. that means that you have no control over yourself you have no your your mind is your master right and so all meditation is and here's a simple way to start count your breath in for three and out for five set Mm -hmm. a timer for three minutes and just do that and listen, I guarantee you that your mind will stop counting. You'll start thinking about something else. I guarantee you. Do you know why? Because that's what the mind is built to do. The mind is built to worry and to think and to just like a puppy. A puppy is built to run around the house. So when you focus on what's happening over there, you notice it and be like, oh, look at me. Look at me thinking about what's for lunch. Okay, Mm -hmm. back to three and five, back to counting. Oh, there's my mind. There it trails off. Okay, back into three and five. That's meditation. Meditation is not clearing the mind to perfection. It's watching it leave and knowing having the tool Mm -hmm. to bring it back. And the tool to bring it back is your object, your counting, your candle flame, whatever it is. Well, and I value those tools so much. I use them often in my therapeutic practice. And what I value about them, and you're naming it, this idea of training, right? Like it is training our brains for, to some extent, distress tolerance, right? Like the ability to be uncomfortable. Look, my mind wants to take me away from this because it feels uncomfortable to sit here. Yes. But the more I do it, the more I recognize that, look, nothing bad has happened. Right. Look, I have not died. Look, right. it's actually okay to sit and be with me without any significant distractive tactics, and it's okay. Yeah. Right? Now, let me tell you why this is important specifically for, for any public safety, but I'll give you a firsthand account in fire service because I went through a fire academy while I was yeah. teaching there so I could really like learn everything. I was in a confined space, and I was not happy. I was very hot. I could barely breathe with my um, SCBA on. And I was this close to freaking out, but Mm -hmm. I didn't want to freak out because I'm teaching them techniques on how to to not not freak out. out, Right. So I can't do that. Proof is in the pudding. This is the moment. I had so much pressure. Right. So I monitored my breath and I repeated to myself. So we also do mental reframing. Listen, yeah. mantra, that's what mantra is. Okay. Yeah. So, but my mantra was, you are such a badass, or I'm a badass. I'm such a badass. Look at me. I'm such a freaking badass. Right. Yeah. I kept repeating that while monitoring my breath so I could stay in that position in a confined space, meditating instead of freaking out. Mm-hmm. And then I had a student say the same thing. I teach my guys in and gals in bunker gear. Um, So they associate these practices with their work. He noted the same thing. He was caught underneath a slat and he was very close to freaking out and he used the techniques. Um, He said, oh, this is the same position I was in in yoga, right? I was in Mm -hmm. baby cobra and now here I am on my belly, associated those techniques together and used the power of his mind to meditate in the position instead of freaking out. So you're absolutely right that we're training how to be cool, calm, collected, and in control um, while mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Totally. So as you coach and train first responders to acquire the skill of integrating yoga as a full practice into their lives, 
what have you found to be most helpful when supporting them in developing a yoga practice? And what are the, like, what do you hear as the standout benefits that people report back to you as they develop and hone that training in a way that does feel personal and integrated for them? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's why we uh, make sure to have evaluations afterwards so we yeah. can really see the trending, the trends of the of the benefits. Yeah. Um, the number one benefit that we always see across the board, 100%, I literally, we've gotten 100% effectiveness yeah. is yeah. breath work. Yeah. And without breath work, the yoga positions aren't yoga. Mm. So you have to be monitoring and aware of your breath the whole time. Otherwise you're doing positions that look like yoga, you know, yoga positions, right. but not yoga actual training and practice. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying jump out and do warrior two in the middle of your work day, you know, the, the, the physical part of it and the real robust training, that's what you do, you know, as training. And then what you bring with you um, I would say is the mental reframing and the breath work. That's something you can do while in a car. You can do it while speaking. What if you're having a very difficult conversation with someone? You can be monitoring your breath. Um, it was interesting. We, we put some biofeedback machine stuff on as a shirt called Hexoskin yeah. while to one of our uh, military students throughout a week of intense training. And when his biomarkers spiked was when a commander walked in the room. He was sitting down. So he was not exert, exerting anything physically, but all the biomarkers went up. Then in yoga class later that day, he was physically exhausted. He was sweating, right? But all his biomarkers were very even mm-hmm. and in a very regulated state because he was practicing self-awareness yeah. the whole time. So this shows that you can, that we're not just talking about the critical incidents. We're talking about when your command walks in the room. That's a right. that's a, a stressor that creates the cumulative stress that's also going to knock your nervous system down. Maybe you've mm-hmm. never been in a critical incident. It doesn't matter. It's the anticipation that the next call is a critical incident that's creating yeah. that cumulative stress, right? Totally. So it is the I would say the breath work and learning the breath work so it's there for you. We also have an app and the reason I started this app which has all types of audio and video recordings, yoga classes that are, you know, tough, uh, 20 minute classes. You can use it a daily practice, breath work techniques. Mm. But the reason I started it is I had a friend who's a police officer who never came to my class, but he, he knew I taught mm. it in his department. Yeah. And I was up really early to teach another yoga class. And he messaged me saying that he was having a panic attack in his patrol car and okay. said, what's that breath work? What's the breath work that you teach people? So I literally messaging him how to control his breath to get to a point where he could pull off the road, make the next phone call, whatever he needs to to be safe. And I kept thinking, what if I wasn't there to receive his message? Mm -hmm. So on our app, I created what's called the critical need button, critical need support. And that's for this purpose. It's the first video you'll see that pops up when you open the app Mm -hmm. and it's free and it's if someone is in that position and there's, it's the middle of the night, they don't know what to do. Use that to basically get your shit together. So then you can say, okay, now I'm going to go back to the station and and say, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So we're trying everything we can to make the yoga and listen, guys, yoga does not live on a yoga mat. Yoga Mm -hmm. does not live in the yoga teacher or pants or blocks. The yoga lives inside you. You are the one in control. You're the one doing it. If you have your breath, if you can repeat the mental phrasing, whatever you need to do, it's always with you. And that's what we're trying to do is empower our first responders to have this tool in their tool belt, like everything else they have. Totally. It makes me think, I don't know if you've seen this book, but there's a children's book called I Am Yoga. Ooh, no, my daughter it. has it. I might have to send it to you. Oh, that idea. It's, it's totally beautifully true. illustrated. And my daughter and I love reading it because she and I love doing yoga together. It's mostly silly tickle time, but it's like our favorite thing in the world yeah. because it's our girl time and it's yeah. awesome. And the book is really this piece about how we internalize this sense of what it means to engage in 
yoga. And I think you're right that there's all kinds of misconceptions about what that means and looks like. I know for a lot of people, we live in an area where there is quite a bit of like conservative religious pieces. And I've often heard that from um, some of the people I know in more conservative, particularly Christian culture, is this idea that yoga is somehow religiously conflictual for them. Like there's just all kinds of stuff. And yet at the end of the day, it is this piece of just how we carry a capacity to find a centering or a capacity to find a calm. And it's a series of tools that helps us to achieve that. 100%. It's, It's inward. It's introspective. It belongs to you. And I'll say a couple things about the religion thing. First of all, um, yoga does not ask you to follow or worship a god so Mm -hmm. you can worship whatever god you want and still do yoga so there's no Mm -hmm. worshiping of a god there um the reason that hindu deities are the names of certain yoga poses traditionally and this is why the religion religious aspects especially years five thousand years ago when Mm -hmm. yoga was developing was so intersected with culture that it was just part of the culture versus, um, you know, we're praising this, you know, God right. or whatever. I also kind of relate it to, because it's so, you know, intersected with the culture. Baseball is an, you know, an American sport. And you'll see mm-hmm. several baseball players go up to the plate and do the, the cross, right? right? Before. Now, if someone from a foreign country saw that, they might think, because Christian is the predominant religion, right? right? And yeah. baseball is the culture. So some, so a baseball player just mixed the religion and the culture. So then someone might interpret and say, you have to be Christian to, do, to play baseball. Right. right. Baseball is somehow so, Christian. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing in the fact that when we're going inward with yoga, maybe meditating or whatever, if mm-hmm. you want to bring in something personally that's going to help your mind focus maybe Mm -hmm. this is uh you know maybe it's a prayer you like whatever i don't it can be whatever but praying what is praying praying is a taking an object of meditation it is repeating a certain prayer talking to god whatever but neurologically the same thing is happening Mm -hmm. so you can be an atheist and repeat i'm a badass you can be Catholic and, you know, the, and repeat, you know, Hail Marys, mm-hmm. whatever you want to yeah, do. Totally. But the neurological effect is that you are focusing your mind on one thing and the neurological benefits the same, but mm-hmm. no, you can be any religion and practice yoga because yoga is not um, asking you to have a certain, there's no dogma there or anything. Yeah. Um, that excuse is used a lot uh, when, um, someone just doesn't want to do my class. And I've actually spoken to chaplains about it. And chaplains are on my side where they know a true chaplain, (laughs) a true chaplain knows that it is not a religion. And so a chaplain will go to that person and say, it is not against anything with your religion. You can go Mm -hmm. to this yoga class, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So I want us to get super pragmatic for a second, kind of recognizing that we only have a little bit of time left. If we kind of imagine that there is someone listening today who has maybe never done yoga, maybe had some reservations about trying yoga, or who's tried it, but it's been kind of the like blonde on the beach, fitnessy version of what yoga is, what are some small pieces that those kinds of people can do to work towards making some change to help grow a sense of connection in kind of that like mind body piece? Um, whether we name it yoga or not, like what are some of the pieces that you would offer to someone in some of those just like quick win kinds of ways that give them a sense of being able to help regulate their system a bit more effectively with some Uh of the tools that you've found through yoga to be really helpful for those who work in these kinds of positions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, first of all, on our app, we have a section called Start Here. And Start Here is, is all free. Um, so anyone can get our app, hit start here, and it has the easiest breathwork stuff, basic yoga. So that's that's a resource you can just grab right now. In our app, you can go to yogaforfirstresponders.org, and mm-hmm. un- it's on demand, 
uh, and then, or it says classes and then on demand. You can also download, it's called Cyber Academy is the app name. So you can also download that on your device. Okay. From the Play Store or something like that. We'll link to all of those things in the show notes. So if anyone's trying to look for them, we'll make sure that all of them are easy to be found. Perfect. So that's going to teach you the techniques I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. Okay. And so the easiest thing I would say is you want to be aware of your body. And the reason I say that is that is firing up the prefrontal cortex. So Mm -hmm. just by being specific and aware. So if you're sitting, you know, place your feet below your knees, widen your toes and see if you can purposely press on the four corners of your feet. Now, all of this seems like so subtle and so like insignificant. I'm telling you, we're doing it to fire up the brain. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is brain training. And if we are unaware of where our hands and feet are, that not the it's not the part of the brain that we're trying to to train that's in charge. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. so sitting tall, placing the hands down, pressing your hands on your thighs. That's the first key. You've got it. If you are purposely placing your body and squeezing your shoulder blades back, and everything you place your body is is on purpose, then not mm-hmm. only is it correct alignment which is great for the body and also for the stress response. When you're in bad alignment, you're actually Mm -hmm. triggering a stress response because of how it affects the brainstem. But that purposefulness, that precision is getting into the part of the brain that we want to get to. From there, placing your hands low, like where your belt sits, very, very low, and try to breathe into your hands, expanding your belly and the back, your low back, 360 degrees around like a balloon. It's harder than you think. Because mm-hmm. respiration requires muscles and muscles that are most likely weak in everyone's mm-hmm. body, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to be like, um, how come this isn't happening? Because you're going to try to breathe in your belly and you're going to breathe up here in your chest because that's where we mm-hmm. default. So you're just going to have to keep working like, oh God, how do I, how do, I do it? It's going to be harder than you think. But not only is that training the breath, again, it's the prefrontal cortex is the one that's trying to set send that command. So we're mm-hmm. strengthening it just by you sending signals down to your belly, right? Yeah. And then when you get that belly breathing going, I'm not even going to do the other part of the torso because that's on the app. Just do this belly breathing, count down from let's say 18 to one. So you okay. inhale, exhale completely. So every drop of breath is out of your body. And before you inhale again, silently to yourself, say 18. Then inhale, the belly and low back expand, like a right in that you know mm-hmm. corset area. You can even put your hands like one on the belly and kind of one on the hip and or not hip, the waist area. Try yeah. to expand that. Exhale completely. Pause. Seventeen. Inhale all the way to one. There mm-hmm. it is. That's all you need. You have cultivated self awareness. You have brought your nervous system into recovery. Um, you're you're creating a, a sharpened prefrontal cortex just with that simple exercise. It's so simple that people don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's I so know. it's so effective. So that's something really basic anyone could do right now. If you want to that a little bit expanded on and then getting some yoga, you know, elements, again, try to start here on the app because that'll be all you need. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. I want to ask before we end, um, you shared about the app and I so appreciate that you've created that and that it exists out there for people. Um, I also know that you have national level programs. So where can people go for more support? Like if people are wanting to kind of follow up and look you up, what are the things that they might find? How are ways that people could get more engaged with what it is that you're offering if they wanted it for their unit or detachment or whatever, what would that look like? Yeah. So, um, the landing to, to land somewhere, we're on all the social medias at yoga for first responders. Um, and then our website is yoga for first responders.org. And you can sift through that. If you have a question, you just want to start moving forward info, I N F O at yoga for first responders.org. You can do any question there and it will be directed to the right person. This is all spelled out, yoga for first responders, all spelled out. Mm -hmm. But even if you give us a DM or anything, it's going to get to someone and they're going to take it to the right person. So if you'd like, um, you know, we're going to be launching our online course platform in the new year. Okay. So if you want info about the 
the um, online stuff, if you want to see if we can get a program, if you want an instructor school at your department, which is our six day intensive to train internal people to teach at your department. To be able to teach. Yeah. Yeah. If you have an idea that you haven't heard me say like, oh, this would be really great if we could do it this way. Everything we've created is based on people's needs. So let us know what you need and we're going to do our best to uh, figure out how to get it for you. That's awesome. Well, and I can say from experience as the random person who did just randomly out of the blue email your info line and say, hey, I have this podcast. Do you want to come? Your team was wonderful and really lovely. And I think I heard back from somebody really quickly. And so I really valued even that you are valuing people in a way that is just really responsive and and caring for their needs. And so yeah. I love what you're doing. I'm super grateful that people like you exist in the world and are, are trying to meet needs for people who do so much to meet everybody else's needs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you, Lindsay. I respect what you do. I can't, I hope you're doing your yoga because I know that's a lot to take on what you do. Believe it, lady. (laughs) It is a key part of my survival as a mental health practitioner in a pandemic. Yes. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. Uh, It's a thing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Olivia, and for taking like kind of bridging your wisdom to us here and and making that usable and user-friendly. I think that's something that I've done various forms of yoga in terms of like, I've done some of those classes that are the blonde on the beach yeah. version of reality. I've also been really gifted to have some experiences with often yoga practitioners in training who uh-huh. are still trying to like find what their jam is. And are so much more authentic in how they're bringing it and are like newer. So they're kind of fresh into the fullness of what it looks like before it gets tapered down into something diluted. Yeah. And I have found it so incredibly valuable to my own life in so many different ways. And so I, I think one of my experiences, though, has been that some make it so, so deeply complicated or make it feel like I have to somehow go to India and do my own personal journey, um, that it feels detached from the reality of what my life is. And I feel like you've kind of struck this balance of bridging what the value is from the tradition with actual legitimate, practical, pragmatic pieces that are applicable to real life in Western culture. I'm so glad you said that. That gives me chills because that was my goal. I was like, somehow, somehow we have to be able to do this. Like, what can I tease out? That's the most important elements. And so if you're recognizing that, that makes me feel really good. I'm glad. I think that's been what I've enjoyed most about this conversation today is I feel like you're really anchored and tethered to what people need in very real life. And very real life doesn't live in the Himalayan mountains on a yoga mat. Um, And so I think that that's just a real gift. And I will say too, I had one teacher say to speak to this, um, I was in a, he was a master teacher and and some guy said that he lives in the woods. He's taken himself out of, you know, out of society or whatever, thinking that this master teacher was going to be like, Oh, good for you. You're winning. You know what he said? He said, you're cheating. He said, if you, do you know where the challenge is dealing with people dealing with life? If you can't live your yoga with neighbors and a boss and this and that you're not you're not strong you don't have that yoga strength you know like maybe go out like I trained with my teacher for a couple months in India then he kicked me out and sent me back home he said you got to go live this now you know so it's that's why we have to be able to bring it to everyday life totally I love it I want to say one more huge thank you to Olivia for taking the time to talk with me and share her insights. We've talked in this series about making the information you're hearing throughout actionable, and I hope you've held on to some pieces from today's episode that you'll try out this coming week. If you do, I would love to hear about it. Reach out, tag me, or shoot me an email and tell me how it's going. As always, please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. You can always find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. Thank you to those who are supporting me in my mission to get wellness tools into the hands of every helper 
by sharing this resource with those you know. I really genuinely appreciate it. Until next time, you guys, stay safe.